Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand consciousness, stimulate thought, and encourage community. I underline again, encourage community. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for joining us today. There are actually four of us here in the studio in the village of Mendocino on the coast, about three hours northwest of San Francisco. The village of Mendocino, if you haven't been here, you want to come and visit. One of the interesting things about the village of Mendocino is that all the utility wires are below ground. So people don't really notice that at first, but when you drive through the town, it creates a very interesting aesthetic and psychological vibration. The village of Mendocino is about nine miles south of the city of Fort Bragg, one of four cities in the county of Mendocino. Fort Bragg, for over a hundred years, was a fishing and logging community. The Koch brothers, who owned the Georgia Pacific, were involved in over-logging, and so the logging business went out of business. They went into bankruptcy, and there hasn't been a, a mill in the middle of town for, I think, what, how long, Michael? Over 10 years now? Yeah, at least over 10 years. They're still trying to decide what to do with hundreds of acres of the mill site that sits right on the Pacific Ocean west of the town of Fort, of the city of Fort Bragg. It's quite something to see. If you haven't been to Fort Bragg, you ought to. Come on up, take a look at what happens when a major mill site goes out of business and it happens to have its location right on the Pacific Ocean. It's something to see. There's a wonderful place to walk and bike there as well. Today, we're going to have an interview with Rob Valente, the undoctor. Stay tuned to find out what is an undoctor. What does an undoctor do? Does he meet with unpatients? Well, we're going to find out. But first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. I, um, in 1977, which is what now, 39 years ago, I had the privilege of making testimony to the President's Commission on Mental Health. And I thought I would read that to you today because I think it has relevance and I think I'd like to hear what any of you want to say when you hear what I said to the President's Commission on Mental Health back in 19, this was June 26th, 1977. I respectfully submit my testimony to the President's Commission on Mental Health. I'm a clinical psychologist, psychotherapist, health consultant, college teacher, and administrator in a wide variety of public and private settings. I'm the father of a beautiful, healthy little girl whom I wish to see grow up in a friendlier, less fearful, and generally healthier world. I attended our public hearings and work sessions in San Francisco where most of the important facets of American mental health were dealt with, though nutrition was neglected, if not avoided totally. Remember, back in 1977, there was no talk of nutrition. Greatly missed was the overall philosophy, theme, or spirit of our, of our approach to mental health. Greatly missed was the importance of building care and love into our health delivery systems. It is around these two foci that I respectfully offer the following recommendations 
which can be implemented, I believe, for a reasonable amount of money. One, taking a systems approach to health which integrates the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. Our present system fragments the whole person by working separately with mind, body, and spirit. An integrated systems approach will make a concerted effort to bring about that harmony of body, mind, and spirit, which results in the relief and cure of disease. It'll cost less to have health workers from various disciplines working together rather than competing. There will be a greater exchange of information and the cooperative spirit of the providers will be experienced by the consumers. Two, creating a more caring society beginning with educating health providers to attend to feelings as well as methods. While providing health care, multidisciplinary workers must be in touch with their attitudes as well as their skills, and this includes attitudes towards their fellow workers. Witness the caring body posture and tones of Mrs. Carter, that was President Jimmy Carter's sister who was sitting on the panel. Witness the caring body posture and tones of Mrs. Carter as she related to witnesses at the commission hearings, even with the difficult task she had of cutting people's oral testimony off after six minutes. A caring attitude can be facilitated by giving health providers permission to care. At present, many, if not most professionals, are taught to observe so objectively that they approach automaton status as they work. What we want at training institutes where health workers from all geographic areas and ethnic backgrounds are taught methods of caring and of facilitating sensitivity to the spirit as well as the mind and the body. These trainees can then return to their committees and train others. Eventually such courses in interpersonal appreciation can be taught in community health centers in every locality, no matter how small. Caring training is essential. There is, at present, no way of measuring the debilitating effects of thinking or feeling that no one cares. Three, rewarding health as we now reward sickness with insurance payoffs. The programs we call health insurance actually pay people for being sick. We suggest programs that would reward healthy behavior. As an example, insurance payments could be lowered for people who take courses in health maintenance or people who actually maintain good health. Such people could even be encouraged to take well days off from work since they would be taking fewer sick days off. Four, making available a president's manual on health promotion and health maintenance. We have learned about pathology from diseased people. Similarly, there is a great deal to learn about health from those who are healthy. By sharing with the public the practices he has imported or she has imported into daily life to integrate and develop mind, body, and spirit, the president will foster a positive attitude towards health care and personal responsibility. The President's Manual can provide basic information regarding foundations of health, including nutrition, exercise, proper breathing, 
meditation, and love. Five, forming multidisciplinary research groups that look at American lifestyles and keep the public informed as to the causes of dis-ease and methods of fostering health. In a society which is constantly growing and changing, it is necessary to keep health information current. We can regularly examine our basic lifestyles for information regarding health and dis-ease, as is presently being done in Canada. The, the public is often unaware of how aspects of culture affect us. Witness junk food, tranquilizers, and violence on TV. When a cultural hero is being watched on TV by 50 million Americans, the medium is truly part of the message. If the hero smokes and drinks, millions think that to be a hero, one must smoke and drink. Six, building modern birth sensors as healthy and safe alternatives to hospitals and homes. Instead of considering pregnancy an illness which must be endured and treated, the staff of a birth center regards pregnancy as a normal body function to be enjoyed and then completed with the birth of a baby. At a birth center, the entire family participates and all share the joy of the miracle of birth. Seven, establishing community health centers with satellites which reach every area of our country. Community health centers can teach health and treat disease using multidisciplinary integrated systems. By using professionals and paraprofessionals from the community, they can foster an active and dignified space for each person to gain the knowledge and wisdom necessary for taking active responsibility for their health. Respectfully submitted, Richard L. Miller, PhD. I'm interested, if you were listening, I hope you were, Somet I say if you were listening, sometimes I wonder when I read something whether, you know, you follow it along when you're listening on the radio. Sometimes when I'm listening on the radio and somebody's reading something, I find it a little difficult compared to when they're simply speaking. Uh, if you want a copy of this, you could send me an email, uh, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com. I'll be happy to send you a copy of it. If you want to call in, or if you want to call in later while we're interviewing Rob Valente, the undoctor, the telephone number here is 707-937-5103. Our guest today is Rob Valente, the undoctor. He has been working with people for, oh, Mike is just uh, giving us a little technical assistance. Sorry for that sound coming over the air. Oh, and I just got word, one second, hold the phones, folks. Before the program started, you heard, um, was it Radiant Solar today, Michael? You heard underwriting from Radiant Solar. Now, underwriting is what public radio calls sponsors, and on commercial radio, we have advertisers. As best I know, the main difference between a, uh, an underwriter and an advertiser is that the underwriters um, 
do not influence in any way the program. They can't call in and say, hey, you talked about this, or, oh, we want you to talk more about that, or, hey, you took a position on this and we're unhappy, we're going to yank our advertising. That's advertising. Underwriting is they want to sponsor the station. They might want to sp uh, sponsor, underwrite a particular show, but that's the end of their influence. Well, we're going to make an exception today, uh, just prior to Rob Valenti's interview, because I, I just, I have to accept this advertising. Uh, when you hear it, perhaps you'll understand why. I know I'm making an exception, but I want you to listen to, to because this product is just an amazing product, and uh, I had to, I had to uh, play it for you. So here's an ad from a brand new, but then again, not so new product. Let's see if we can get this to work. Stay tuned. Do you find yourself longing for the apocalypse? I did. I was looking for a reason to live. Hi. Are you feeling tired, irritable, stressed out? Well, you might consider nature. From the people that brought you getting outside comes prescription strength nature, a non-harmful medication shown to relieve the crippling symptoms of modern life. Nature's recommended for humans of all ages, and it's great for pets, too. Nature can reduce cynicism, meaninglessness, anal retentiveness, and murderous rage. In clinical studies, nature is proven to decrease work-induced catatonia. Caution. Nature may cause you to slow down, quit your job, or seriously consider what the f*** you're doing with your life. If you are overly cynical, jaded, or emotionally numb, you may need to increase your dose of nature. Do you have trouble being even mildly uncomfortable? Nature may not be right for you. Side effects may include spontaneous euphoria, taking yourself less seriously, and being in a good mood for no apparent reason. So ask your doctor if nature is right for you. So, I think that, uh, that advertiser uh, may be a regular on this program. Uh, we'll find out if we get in trouble from the federal... Uh, Communications Commission for accepting advertising, although uh, they're not uh, directly paying us. But I, I'm going to take my dose of this product uh, sometime today, and uh, I sincerely hope you'll join me. Uh, this this looks like a product that uh, that really is for everyone, and um, well, we'll find out. Maybe we uh, we need to do more research on uh, and getting out there in nature and seeing what effect it has. Um, I see you're laughing here, uh, Rob. Uh, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Glad to have you here today. Thank you, Richard. Glad to be here. Rob, you are um, uh, the undoctor. Uh, many of our guests have never heard of an undoctor. In fact, maybe most of them have never heard of an undoctor. So let's begin by your telling us what is an undoctor. Well, um, I came up with the name, actually. Uh, I lived in a house that uh, it turned out to be quite unhealthy for me, and I was uh, not sleeping. And in the middle of the night, one night, uh, I said, man, I just saw a doctor. He gave me no relief whatsoever. Um, it's almost like I need the opposite of a doctor. And that was sort of the eureka moment. I said, I, I need an undoctor. And uh, I went downstairs, and I immediately registered the domain name, and... Um, that's what I've been calling myself since. And so uh, an undoctor, I like to say, uh, 
I do the things that doctors maybe used to do, maybe can no longer do. I take time and I look deeply and uh, find underlying causes of actual health ailments, illnesses, etc. And how do people, since this is groundbreaking what you're doing, uh, I certainly have never met an undoctor before, and I've been around for a, a while. Um, how do you interface with the public? How, how do you, uh, how, how do they know about you, and how do they feel confident that as an undoctor, they're going to get something? Well, typically, most uh, clients that I work with um, come to me via other satisfied clients. Uh, it's mostly referral, word of mouth. Um, I do have a sparsely populated website and a sparsely populated Facebook fan page. Both uh, the undoctor, uh, the website's theundoctor.com. But mostly it's just satisfied clients referring me others, and sometimes doctors also. So other healthcare practitioners also send me referrals. So doctor doctors send yeah. patients to, uh, to the undoctor. <laughs> exactly. And w when would a doctor doctor send a patient to an undoctor? Well, um, if there's, there's not really sort of a guideline, I would say. It's just some individual cases where doctors haven't been able to find out what's going on. Um, you know, I had a, I've had a number of people come to me where, let's say for example, I, I had a, a woman who was sick and uh, kept going to the doctor and the doctor couldn't find anything, suggested that she contact me and I looked over some of her lab tests and found something that he hadn't seen. That's basically what, the, what will happen. And he had basically given up in some way? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I think doctors, they're, they're really committed people. They spend an awful lot of time in school. They spend a lot of money going to school. But in some cases, in some situations, the healthcare system really leaves them handcuffed. You know, they're no longer uh, able to do all of the things that they should do or can do or could do or want to do. You know, insurance basically regulates how much time they get to spend, how much money they get to spend. And so I don't have any of those restrictions. So I can go deeper. Well, I can re I relate to uh, what you're saying based on something that happened to me just last week. Um, I have this uh, condition on my skin called uh, actinic keratosis, which is a kind of scaliness that occurs uh, sometimes from too much uh, exposure to the sun. And uh, it's considered a precancerous condition. It's just below basal squamous and a, a, a cancer. And um, so the treatment for it is to be sprayed um, and it's the, the little cells are frozen uh, with the spray. And um, the doctor has to count the number of times he pushes the button on the spray bottle. This is just a regular, I mean, it's a fancy spray bottle. It's made out of metal, but that's all it is, a spray bottle, really. Uh, but it, it, he's allowed 15 sprays. 
But if I happen to have 36 of those little areas that need, and often I do, that need spraying, uh, he can't do it. You have to go back for another visit? I have to go back and I have to wait a certain period of time before I can go back for another visit. And so we had an open discussion um, about what about people who come from an hour and a half away? I mean, some of the visits that I make, since I live rurally, when I go to a doctor or a dentist, sometimes it's an hour and a half uh, trip. That means that if you have 36 of these, you have to make three trips, 15, 30, and the last one for six. So that's the kind of thing that you're talking about yeah. when you say there's pressures on them. Absolutely. And I just gave one little tiny example. I suppose you can magnify those pressures tremendously, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what often happens is uh, courses of care are determined with too little information. Um, I have clients who've been prescribed thyroid medicine based simply on their TSH score on a blood test. And to me, that's irresponsible at a minimum. You need more information before you put a person on thyroid medication. I have another client who's a 39-year-old woman. She, um, she had uh, premature menopause is what she was diagnosed with, but they based that only on six markers on a blood test. And again, it's just really incomplete information. And uh, unfortunately, that's more than the rule than the exception these days. Doctors can't even order enough markers on a blood test to know fully that what they're doing is, is the best course of action. And it's all dictated by insurance. Yeah, that's what my doctor said. He said the number of times he can use the liquid nitrogen for the spray is dictated by insurance. Yeah. And if he gives me 23 instead of 15, he's not going to get paid for the other eight. Exactly. How, does this go very deeply into the medical profession, this kind of regulation and, and uh, follow-up by the insurance companies in terms of what they'll pay and what they won't pay? If that puts all the pressure, so then that's how a doctor can get in the situation you described of, yeah. of missing something because he's rushing or she's rushing? Yeah, or he's just, they're simply not allowed to order them. It's, the tail is wagging the dog at this point. The doctor is less in charge of your care than the insurance is. The doctor is less in charge of your care than the insurance is. What are we Absolutely. Gonna, well, what are we going to do about that? Well, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. The, all of the best practitioners I know, whether they be doctors or people like me who aren't doctors but are interested in providing people health care, they don't accept insurance because they can't do everything that should be done if insurance is, you know, calling the play. I'd like to ask you about some of the cases that you've seen. Sure. Do you want to come up with an example, or should well, I ask you some specific? Would you like to? You know, it's, it's interesting. You could almost start with me. You know, okay, I've, let's start with you. I was my first case. I'm, my health is the reason I began doing this. I, uh, you know, I was actually, even as a little boy, I had, uh, my mom thought I always had a cold until I was about seven years old. She finally took me to an allergist and, they said I had allergies, and so I went through the, the, the basic thing, and I got shots, and I took a prescription. And then when I was 28, 28 years old, I stopped taking the prescription because I saw an alternative doctor who said, you don't need that. He said, you know, start making some lifestyle changes. I took dairy out of my diet, and I started using natural body care and 
cleaning and laundry products, and lo and behold, I haven't taken an allergy prescription since. And that made me think, hmm, maybe there's more to this. Anyway, uh, I've, I've worn many career hats in my life. I once owned a snowboard, snowboard company, and when we sold that company, it gave me some freedom and some time to explore more deeply the health thing. But ironically, as I was exploring, I got really sick. And uh, I ended up getting appendicitis. And I thought, okay, well, after my appendix burst and I had the surgery, I'll, I'll get better now, and I didn't. So I went to see a doctor in Sebastopol, and uh, he, he tried to put me on thyroid meds just based on a couple of thyroid scores, and I said, this is wrong. And uh, we argued, I fired him, and I, I went from there. I, have, I was studying already, and uh, long story short, in my own case, I found that I had some underlying bacterial infections that he missed. I had three, in fact. How did you find them? Uh, lab tests. Um, a couple were uh, from a swab of, of sputum, you know, expellent from the lungs. Yes. And um, uh, another was from stool. Two, two were from stool. One was a bacterial infection. One was a parasite found in stool. And then the worst of all was uh, mold. I was living in houses, a series of five houses in a row that had mold uh, problems, and I think ultimately that's what lowered my defenses, left me open to these infections, and uh, so I had to move. How were you able to ascertain that there was mold in your system? Um, in my system? Yeah. At that time, there were lab tests uh, from a company, a California lab actually did a blood tests for uh, elevated antibodies to certain molds. So if people are listening to this program and they have some suspicion uh, that they're dealing with mold, say particularly people living in coastal communities where it's moist in the air, is that right? Yeah, very common. More so than dry communities, very dry inland? Absolutely. So what they could do is they could contact this uh, a laboratory. You want to give us the name of it? Well, unfortunately, actually, um, that lab doesn't do the testing anymore. Oh, they, uh, well, then you'll have to Google, folks. You'll have to go <laughs> on Google, and you'll have to type in something like uh, labs that test blood for mold or labs that do hematology on mold. How would you do that, Ra? You're the well, undoctor. Yeah, you know, I think potentially the, um, both of those, uh, both of the major lab companies, I think uh, LabCorp and Quest may have some mold antibody markers, but... Uh -huh. But um, I think actually a better approach is probably to test the home. There's a lab called Mycometrics, M-Y-C-O-M-E-T-R-I-C-S uh, dot com. And uh, you can order kits to test your home, your car, your office. Those seem to be the major exposures. Well, is it, is it a given that if your house has mold that you'll have mold or your car no. has mold that it'll... Or, or, no, actually, if even when there's an exposure, only about 25% of the people can't detoxify the mold from their body. So 75% of the population can be exposed oh. without a problem. So you really need to test yourself. Well, you, you can usually tell from symptoms. Ah. If a person is uh, in a, an environment where they suspect mold yes. and also has uh, symptoms of, say, fatigue, 
uh, and it's extreme fatigue. It's, it's not like normal fatigue. When I was mold sensitive, standing up from a chair made me tired and made me need to sit back down. And what are some of the other symptoms that um, go with it? Aches, pains, um, uh, skin, because uh, when, when we, we detoxify from multiple areas in the body, the liver, the kidneys, but when they can't keep up with the load, then the skin will often become uh, a tertiary uh, detoxifying so organ. So is it something people should look... So somebody's listening to this program, they say, well, that sounds like me, I get tired, and um, yeah, yeah, really yeah. tired, and I get achy. But I thought it was just uh, from my job, or I thought it was because I'm getting older, or I thought it was because I drive a lot and sitting in a car and a truck that I drive, you know, that makes me achy and tired. What? So what do they look for on their skin? Uh, sometimes you'll get a rash, typically uh, skin eruptions, uh -huh. where the the toxins are literally trying to leave the body through the skin. Is P uh, is this a a, a syndrome? That's quite common. Do a lot of people, do you believe, suffer from uh, mold uh, uh, bioaccumulation? I do. And uh, not only in just coastal communities where it is extremely common, I think that's where it started for me, but also in communities where uh, I, in, I live in Sonoma County, and I think there's a lot of mold in that area in the grapes. Um, you know, another symptom is brain fog, uh, muddled thinking, cloudy headedness. It, it, uh, when you see the symptoms in combination with an exposure somewhere in your house, you can think, hmm. See, that's a tough one around here because we live, this is called the Emerald Triangle. There's so much marijuana in our breathing air that everybody's walk. We're all walking around in the fog a lot of the time. <laughs> we, we just can't help it. I mean, I wish it were not the case uh, some of the time. But it's a good thing for reducing pain. So we're mostly walking around without pain and foggy-headed. <laughs> so... The, Mike, you and I know someone who had to leave their home because of mold. Remember Abe? Oh, yeah. Remember that? He, uh, he, he had his walls uh, taken apart, didn't he, Mike? Yep. Yeah. He, well, he had a uh, pre-constructed home up at the woods, and uh, he actually had to have all the walls taken off uh, inside and all the insulation stripped out and had it all put back together again, sealed mm -hmm. Wow, sounds, that sounds like a bad dream. Let's get yeah. off this moldy topic and move on to something else. So you had five homes where you suffered from, you know, you had mold and you had those symptoms. So you were already looking at yourself and working. And then what, what, what happens next in your life here? Yeah, um, and then as I mentioned, you know, um, the, the appendicitis was sort of the uh, cataclysmic event because it, it burst and I thought I was, you know, I, I did nearly die actually. I was on the table in the, in the hospital for like eight hours, they thought it was something different. Terrible and, situation. My yeah. darling wife, Jolie, had that when she was living in Colorado, appendicitis, yeah. appendicitis. You can definitely die from it. Yeah, absolutely. I think Senator Patrick Moynihan died at one uh, From a burst of Yeah, he got septicemia afterwards. Well, but he's a politician. That's a different <laughs> thing. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it used, to, it used to be a common thing. And, uh, you know, ironically, that's another side of the health care situation you know they left me on a table for eight hours with the burst appendix so the doctor poked his head in once asked me where it hurt i pointed to my appendix he said sounds like gallbladder to me shut the curtain and left because there was only one doctor on staff at the hospital that night one doctor on staff so you're there with a burst appendicitis and you're laying on a table for eight hours eight hours it's Whoa. 
it's uh, yeah, the the system is as we all know, it's it's pretty broken. You could have made enough on a malpractice suit to take care of your undoctor practice for a long time on that one. Wow. Well, you are lucky you got out of there alive. So is that when you came out and decided to uh, to start the undoctor uh, practice? Yeah, be, be, because after that, I thought, okay, well, that was the major problem, and now that that's taken care of, I'll get better. And I didn't. And if anything, I got worse. And that's when I went and started doing some tests on myself. I had the good fortune of, I was already interested in organics and food and health. I studied with a man named Paul Check in San Diego. I did a series of courses with him. And at the last one, I met a, a, the founder of a diagnostic laboratory named Bill Timmons. And he introduced me to this testing. So started doing some lab tests through his company, that's where I found these underlying problems. And each time I addressed one of them, then my health ratcheted up a little bit. So one at a time, each bacterial infection, parasite, and what have you, as I fixed them, I moved up a notch. And that's something actually that um, is really important. People always, they might come to me thinking, you know, what's, what's the one thing that's wrong with me? What's the silver bullet? And in general, there isn't one thing. It's a multifactorial situation. And uh, you, that's why it's really important to do complete diagnostic work, which I think that doctors are limited in scope these days by insurance from doing. Did you also find out that you had uh, H. pylori? Do I see that in the notes here? Indeed. Tell our listeners, please, about, uh, about H. pylori, how you found out you had it and what it's been referred to. Um, I found it through a stool test. I think that's the best way. They do offer blood tests for it, but for, uh, for certain reasons, the blood, blood tests are incomplete. This is another thing. Um, doctors generally test for a certain antibody, which is IgG. The problem with that is that IgG can be an indicator of a long since uh, past infection. There are other antibodies, IgM and IgA, that should be tested as well, but Oftentimes, insurance only lets doctors check for IgG, and then they miss whether it's a current or a past infection. Um, and sometimes blood is negative anyway. So I think stool is the best approach, um, and that's how I found it in myself. And the problem with H. pylori, it's a bacteria that colonizes the lining of the stomach, and it can actually burrow through the lining. The, the researchers who discovered H. pylori, they did it in 1982, two Australians. They received the Nobel Prize in 2005 in medicine for the discovery because prior to that, it was uh, believed that ulcers were caused by stress, but it turns out that 100% of stomach ulcers are caused by H. pylori. And when, I, when I was in graduate school, we were taught that those ulcers were psychological. Sure. And we spent countless hours learning treatments for the psychological treatments and not knowing that we were dealing a, 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 with, a, with a bacteria. With a bacteria, yeah. yeah. Interestingly enough, when, when Marshall and Warren told the world that they thought it was a bacteria. They were laughed at by the medical community. Uh, you know that. Yeah. Because the medical community said no bacteria could live in stomach acid. And, and that's why you guys are wrong. Any bacteria that gets in there, the stomach acid is so powerful. They said you can drop a nail into your stomach, which is true, and your stomach dissolve will it. dissolve it. Indeed. But what, 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 I don't know if it was Marshall or Warren. One of them drank 
the H. pylori and followed it, and that's how they discovered, and that's why they won the Nobel Prize, because they used themselves as guinea pigs. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah, they did. It took 23 years for them to finally be uh, recognized. Yeah, and then they won. Yeah. And then no, no longer do we try to psych people out and sitting there for endless hours telling them that they're type A personality, they're dropping stomach acid on Friday and Saturday and Sunday while they're working too much, etc., etc. it turns out. It's a little tiny bacteria that looks like a helicopter. That's why it's called heliocopter ba yeah. uh, heliobacter it, pylori. It, it, it reminds me of a hot dog with a bunch of tails. Um, Drilling its way into our stomach. So you had that also, but that's yeah. curable. And you, that is curable. You, you cured it with, uh, with some kind of antibacterial. I, I've, I've actually had it more than once in my life. The first time I took the uh, prescription uh, regimen, but uh, these days I think there's a there's a natural approach that's actually more than 98% effective. I think it's more effective than... A natural approach to dealing with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Rob Valente, the undoctor. We're learning about what an undoctor is here on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. We're talking to Rob about his life and how, through his own illnesses, he developed a profession that he's a pioneer in, uh, which he refers to as the undoctor. It's a person, correct me if I'm mistaken in any way here, Rob, it's a person who delves deeper into what's going on with any of us when traditional medicine is unable to figure out what's going on with one of us. Is that pretty much sum it up? Yeah. You want to add something to that? Yeah, and I think you know, I think most medical doctors would be fully capable of doing this, but the, the entire model under which they work doesn't allow it anymore. Um, most of the people who, the, by the way, the field of study is functional medicine, um, if people wanted to look more deeply. And there are many functional medicine practitioners out there, even some medical doctors practice it. Functional medicine. medicine exactly. So that, that's really, uh-huh. Do you ever get um, concerned that the board or anybody is going to uh, come after you for pra practicing medicine with an undoctor license? Well, I don't actually practice medicine. I, I'm very careful to av avoid any of that. Um, and I do work with a doctor. So the doctor orders the lab tests. I merely interpret them and point out uh, things that I notice. You can see patterns, um, particularly in blood tests. They reveal a lot. So in other words, being a detective is okay. That you're allowed to do. Yeah, absolutely. But and doing procedures would then be practicing medicine, and that would be unallowed. Is that correct? Sure. And I, I can't prescribe uh, any sort of uh, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. I'm, I, I can't write a prescription. Mm -hmm. I can't, and I I can't even order the lab tests. You know, the doctor orders the lab tests. So. Would you say being a detective is, is sort of on the yeah. in the right ballpark? Absolutely. What you're doing, sleuthing, Absolutely. taking this stuff, putting it together. Let's take another case. Sure. Um, uh, well, I mentioned earlier the the woman with uh, the 39 year old woman who was diagnosed with premature menopause. Um, she came to me, and she didn't want to take the hormones. They wanted to put her on hormones, and she didn't want to take them. Um, we went looking, and we did. We found, in her case, we found H. pylori, and we found uh, parasite. We found also a real diet issue. She was a sugar fiend, and I could see that. And it w they were, all of these things were, were 
impacting her adrenal glands. We could test the, the health of her adrenal glands. And why that's important is because the adrenals are partially responsible for sex hormone production. So we ran a test on her adrenals. It's a saliva test. You give four samples in one day. And it turned out that she had the lowest scores we've ever personally had on uh, any of our clients. And uh, so we started working with her, addressing the underlying problems. And uh, we have retested her adrenals, and she's significantly improved. She, she hasn't come out of the so-called premature menopause yet, but I do expect her to, to come, come out. out of it. Yeah. We're going to take a call here. Michael, let's uh, accept that call. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Good morning. Ah, that's, a, that's very interesting. Thank you so much. She's right. You know, doctor comes from Dosaire to, to the educator. It's we have a we have a great listening audience. We're terrific, Lydia. I mean, people are so, so informed, and they're they're so lovely to call in. It's and by the way, if you want to call in, we have time. The telephone number here is seven zero seven nine three seven five one zero three. Again, seven zero seven nine three seven five one. Zero three. What did you do to help this woman? She takes uh, trouble with her adrenals. What do you remember? What the, what was done for yeah, the adrenal absolutely. problem? So well, you know, the H. pylori that we discovered was a leak. I, I look at the body as sort of a great analogy is that the body's a boat, and that these problems are leaks. And so that we plugged each one that we could. We 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 changed her diet, reduced the sugar in her diet, addressed the H. pylori with that natural protocol and um, then gave her some support for the adrenal glands. Licorice, for example, licorice root is great adrenal support. And- um, Oh, that's nice to hear, I love licorice. Yeah, I love black licorice myself, and it's you know, not red vines. It's got to be- The red vine has plenty of sugar in it. Yeah. I want you to talk a whole bunch about sugar. I definitely want to hear about sugar. And, and I'm gonna throw in a little commercial right now and just remind you, some of you heard me say this before. If you keep everything constant, everything constant, your intake, your fuel, your food, your exercise, everything remains exactly the same, and you drink one bottle of, of soda a day, one bottle of soda a day, nothing else changes, at the end of the year, you have gained 15 and a half pounds, and I kid you not. We're gonna take that call, and then I'll explain how I got those numbers. Hi there, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Well, hi, are you there? Thank you, thank you so much for bringing that to attention and taking the time to call in. Rob, she's absolutely right. Yeah. Lyme disease, you hear about it a lot, especially in this area. Yeah. What do you have to say about it? You know, Lyme is probably the most complex uh, underlying cause of chronic disease. I think in, in, at least to my knowledge, it's, uh, I have a friend who specializes in Lyme care. Um, she's gotten people out of wheelchairs who were, you know, they were literally paralyzed by Lyme and she, she's helped them. And frankly, Lyme is such a complex and multifaceted uh, problem that I typically refer out. Um, 
this friend of yours who specializes in it, a medical doctor? She is a doctor, um, not an MD. Uh, she's an N, like Nancy. Naturopathic MD. doctor? Yeah. yeah. In Sacramento. In Sacramento. What's her name? We're allowed her to name say is, that. Her name is Claire Riendo, but she's not accepting new patients right now, oh, okay. unfortunately. Sorry about that. We're yeah. going to take another call. The line's heating up here, and I, I love talking to our listeners. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Uh, give us the name of the author again, please. Okay, folks. We got a referral from a book from a good listener, Anthony Williams. The Medical Medium. I want to thank you for taking the kind of call in with a book referral, and I want to remind all of you listeners that that is a great thing to do to help the program, which means helping all the other listeners of the program. Namely, if you come across a book that you got some help from, call in and let me talk about it. And by the way, if you come across a book and you want me to interview the author, send me the name of the book. Send me the name of the author. I'll contact that person and get him on the air. This is an avenue you have at your disposal because I will definitely follow up. I love to integrate what our listeners are thinking and reading right into the program. Michael, let's take one more. This is exciting. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Wonderful that since you called. Well, thank you so much for calling in, and you're now going to have a consultation on what you presented from Rob Valente, the undoctor. <laughs> yeah, thank you for calling. It's perfect. Um, you know, these chronic inflammatory conditions, of which rheumatoid arthritis is one, they typically have a couple of things in common. Uh, contrary to what doctors say, food is definitely involved. Um, if you haven't already, the most inflammatory foods are gluten, soy, corn, dairy, and rice. They're the five problem proteins. Um, pretty much in that order. Uh, if you haven't already eliminated gluten, I would strongly suggest it. Um, soy is so antigenically or molecularly similar to gluten that it produces a, a similar reaction in the body. Um, corn and dairy as well. I find rice less so, but if a person has eliminated all four and still are, is having the problem, then rice should be considered. But beyond that, almost, almost invariably in cases of systemic inflammation like rheumatoid arthritis, what you have is leaky gut. A leaky gut is a, is a condition whereby um, the, the, in, in medicine, the gut refers basically from the stomach to the uh, end, to the, um, and so it encompasses the stomach, the duodenum, the small intestine, and large intestine. And what you'll have is uh, the small intestine becomes more permeable than it should be, and larger molecules than the food uh, molecules move into the bloodstream. And when that happens, then the Im immune system attacks those particles, and that's the cause of the chronic inflammation. Um, leaky gut is a common factor in virtually all chronic inflammatory conditions, and that can be tested. It blood can test, be tested. Yeah, blood test from Cyrex Labs. And but we want, Michael, I think we'd like to take that call. I just want to uh, remind you all what Rob just said. 
If you're suffering from an inflammatory situation, you want to take a look at your gluten, your soy, your corn, your dairy, and your rice. Doesn't hurt to be looking at those things. Really doesn't hurt to eliminate one of them at a time or two at a time. Nothing invasive about that and nothing dangerous about that. At most, it's inconvenient. Sure, let's take the call, Michael. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. You're welcome. Hi, Nick on the coast. Mineral shortages. Let's hear what the undoctor has to say. Nick on the coast, thanks for calling. Keep listening. So mineral shortages, vitamin shortages, any nutrient shortages, where I look in a situation like that is, number one, what's the diet like? Are they intaking the raw materials of, of minerals, in Nick's case, or, in, or vitamins? Okay, if the diet is good, if they're eating lots of whole natural foods, organic preferably because I believe the, the density of the nutrients in organic foods is higher. If they're, if they're eating a good diet, then you've got to look at digestion. And it, if we go back to earlier in the conversation, H. pylori is one thing that inhibits digestion. Um, it, it reduces hydrochloric acid in the stomach, so things go undigested. Now, when you, get, when you have maldigestion, as that's referred to, that can lead to malabsorption. So... You look at the diet, you look at the digestion, you look at the absorption. Absorption occurs primarily in the intestinal tract, especially the small intestine. When you say look at the diet, when I say look at the diet in my practice, I say to a patient, I'd like you to write down every single thing that you eat and drink for two weeks. I do seven days. Hardly anybody does it. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to do it. No. So, how do you do? How do you get compliance on a thing like that? I, I find it's extremely difficult. A person can do it for a day or two, and then they throw it in. Absolutely. Um, I'll ask what they eat, and they'll tell me, and then I'll know from their blood test whether they've told me the truth or not. I want to talk some about a trip I just had to, took to Haines, Alaska. I had the privilege of sitting at the dinner table with some people, Rob Goldberg, who makes guitars and, uh, and, and is a fine painter, uh, Gershon Cohn, uh, who's a political activist, uh, and, and uh, other people. And when we sat at their tables, right before dinner, they went out to the garden and grabbed the vegetables and brought them to, and chopped them up for the table. And that afternoon, they had gone fishing for the fish. <laughs> so the transit time from the ground to the stomach and the ocean to the stomach was brief. Yeah. Is, Can't we, get better than that. Now, is that a much better nutritional system? Is it significantly improved than what we buy in the store, or oh, is that in our heads only? No, absolutely. The food's more alive. And they got wild fish, clearly. And uh, yes. what people may not realize about Alaska, it's some of the richest soil on Earth. You've got a lot of humic... Uh, soil material there from glacial activity. So Alaska has fantastic gardening soil. And then the colder the water, in my opinion, the healthier the fish. So the people listening to this program, it, it, it's in their interest, when possible, to have a little garden in the backyard or to get together with some friends and all get together and have a, a garden so that they can get their food rather than buying it. You're shaking your head. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Th that's the freshest you can get. Mike, let's take that call. Well, we don't have time? Okay, we're running out of time. Well, okay. You we know, wanted we, to talk some about sugar. I, I we, want you to get in some words about sugar, because I know you talked to me before the program about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. You know, sugar is, uh, for a long time, the, the, the villain in the American diet was supposedly cholesterol. It actually turns out that the link is 
more related to sugar. And you'll see high cholesterol as a result of high sugar intake. And sugar comes in many forms. Of course, a soda like you mentioned, or red vines like we mentioned earlier, that's clearly sugar. But there's lots of hidden sugar. Um, you know, um, refined carbohydrates, flour, grains that have been um, overly processed. That's one of the, the biggest hidden uh, sources of sugar in the diet. And, you know, in our practice, we have a blood test that includes four sugar markers. So a person will typically go to their doctor and get a blood test, and it'll just include glucose. Glucose is at the time of the test. But uh, if, if listeners or watch any TV primetime especially, you get a lot of um, ads these days about A1C, hemoglobin A1C. That's a sugar marker for the last uh, 120 days, roughly. So I can see how, how's the diet been in the last uh, four months before the blood test. And then I also, on our blood test, we have a marker called fructosamine, and fructosamine shows me in the last two weeks. And we have insulin. Insulin shows how the body is reacting to the sugar in the diet. So again, if when, when we do our work, we're able to move outside of what insurance dictates. We're able to get more information. We can see more readily what's actually in the diet. And sugar is, is the problem. Would you, would you, we're ending the program. Would you say sugar is like at the top of the list of culprits to in, watch out for? Absolutely. In the diet, absolutely. Okay. You hear that, folks. Sugar is the number one culprit. Don't, Bob, wor well, don't worry so much about cholesterol. But worry about sugar. Be careful about sugar. Read Absolutely. everything you can about sugar. Yeah. And if you can get together with friends and make a, 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 a little garden around your neighborhood, you're way ahead. Well, Rob Valente, the undoctor, thank you so much for being with us today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Appreciated the interview. A special thanks to all of you listeners who called in today. Please continue to do so. Please remember to send me any books, authors that you want to recommend to other listeners and send any books or authors that you'd like me to interview. And thank you so much for listening to today's program and my appreciation to the staff of KZYX, our technical director, Rich, my program director, Alice, and all the rest of the staff at KZYX, my in-studio engineer, my dear friend, Mike DeLora, please listen in again in two weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth working hard for. It's worth working hard for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.